Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan, live and local here in the nation's capital. The Commanders 7-5-1 have a bye week. So what do we get to watch this weekend? Hopefully the Eagles defeat the Giants. Maybe the Cowboys lose. We would love to see the Seahawks and 49ers lose as well. But what else is there to watch this weekend? Well, tonight, John Wall makes his return to Capital One Arena as the Los Angeles Clippers at 14-13 and 13 take on the 11-15 and 15 Washington Wizards. And I want to start by saying this. What did John Wall mean to me? Well, when John Wall came to Washington, and it was at an interesting time in my life, where I had kind of stopped caring for the Wizards. Because I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a diehard Wizards fan, and the peak of my Wizards fandom came when we had the big three. Gilbert Arenas, Karan Butler, Anton Jameson, right? The big three. Y'all remember them. Lost to LeBron year after year. Broke my heart. But we were in the playoffs every single year. And Gilbert's game winners, his buzzer beaters, dagger with Steve Buckhands, made washing Wizards basketball fun again. Then you had guns in the locker room. Karan Butler got injured. Anton got older in age. And we had to move on from those guys. And it broke my heart. And Washington had the worst record in the NBA. And drafted a young man out of Kentucky who was dancing and doing the Dougie and just looked like he loved playing basketball. His name was John Wall. And we watched him grow up in the D.C. area. Literally go from a kid, a child, to an all-star. A wall star, as I like to call him. Led this team to multiple playoff appearances. And as big as moments get, his biggest moment was that three-pointer he nailed against the Celtics to send us to a Game 7. And then he jumped on the scorer's table to celebrate. Love that moment. I think back to that all the time. Love John Wall so much. Love him as a person. Love him as a player. It was very sad to see him go. Injuries ruined the end of his career as a Wizard. But I'm always going to root for that guy. I'm always going to root for John to be successful. So today, I saw there was a great article on John Wall in the Washington Post by Ava Wallace. Here are some of my favorite passages from that write-up. The headline was, John Wall had to tuck his pride to stay in the NBA. Last season, when he earned a smooth $44 million not to play a game for the Houston Rockets, as the team focused on its youth movement in the 2021 season, where he just played 40 games. Most people would have loved to sit and do nothing for $44 million. Not John Wall. We know that drove him crazy. He dealt with depression, the most difficult year of his life. Traded from the Washington Wizards in December of 2020, the former number one overall pick had spent years in a personal and professional wilderness. Achilles tendon and foot injuries caused him to miss the entire 2019 season with the Wizards, during which his mother died, his grandmother died a year later, while struggled with mental health and said he considered suicide. He eventually sought therapy, a decision he detailed, in an essay for the Players' Tribune in September. So what did John Wall do? This is from Ava Wallace of the Washington Post, saying, quote, Wall shed some tears. His franchise player bravado and accepted a role coming off the bench with the Clippers, who have him on a minutes restriction and sitting him out half of back-to-back games to manage his return to competition. It's this part that reveals just how much Wall is straining to grow. Wall said, quote, I definitely wish I was asked to do more. The way I played in D.C. helped a lot. I knew 
to get off the ball when guys needed shots. I knew to push the pace. I knew all of that. But the situation I'm in now, that's not what this team needs. I remember when John Wall was in here in, in D.C. here, he knew how to pers- push the pace perfectly, right? And just like he said there, he knew when the guy was open. It, it didn't matter if it was marching Gortat. If he was open and he was hot from 15 feet, John Wall would find a way to get him the ball. Kelly Oubre. John Wall, John Wall got so many people paid that shouldn't have gotten paid. And I'm calling out Otto Porter. Deserves none of that money. John Wall deserves all of that. All he had to do was sit in the corner and make open shots because that's how good John Wall was. And now at 32 years old and a point guard, he's got to adapt to survive in the NBA. Last season, Wall said he kept a strict daily routine when he was actually in town with the Rockets. Rise at 7 a.m., lift, work out, get ready for practice. If the team let him stay, he would stay. If it told him he couldn't watch, he would go home. He said in the article, some people have to tuck tuck their pride sometimes. And sometimes, if they don't do it, it doesn't go in your favor. He says, I think about my favorite player, Allen Iverson. They asked him to come off the bench and do those things in different places, like Memphis, and there's no way AI shouldn't have still been in the league. You know what I mean? It's just that pride didn't let him go. Wall then said, you look at Carmelo Anthony. He accepted his pride. He was back with the Lakers last year. I'm not trying to be one of those guys on the outside looking in. I'm trying to keep it as cool as I can and stay in this position. On the court, the Clippers, they're average this season. They've had to kind of work, not not just work John Wall into the rotation, but Kawhi Leonard. Paul George is his star, is their star there, and they use Kawhi and Paul George, and the two are the operators for the offense. But Wall has been able to use his speed to get some buckets, push the pace in transition when he can, when he picks his spot. And we still know he has the amazing court vision that's made him one of the team league's top passers. It's just interesting the way Wall is being asked to set the table with the Clippers. Ava Wallace said perfectly, he's not asked to prepare and cook the entire meal. He hasn't had to adjust his game. He's just got to play his six-minute spurts there. He's shooting 43% from the field and averaging 12 points in 21 minutes. But here's the thing. He's staying in the league, and he's going to earn his first start for the Clippers tonight when they play against the Washington Wizards. You ask me, how's John Wall doing in his limited minutes? Well, he ranks second in the league only to Russell Westbrook with 5.7 assists among players who do not start. He's been a great six-man. He's been exactly what the Clippers need. Wall said in the article, quote, If I would have signed with a couple of other teams, I would have been starting or I would have been playing big minutes. It was just me realizing what I want in my career now. For me, the most important thing is to show people I can stay healthy. I can play. I can accept any role. I'm not satisfied. I am nowhere near satisfied. So determined. So right now he says I'm playing cool. I think I'm playing okay. I could be playing way better. And I love that from John Wall. He just wants to prolong his career. He's already made millions and millions and millions, life-changing money, generational-changing money. And now he's more concerned with his legacy. You don't get that from every NBA player. Guys want to get paid. Nobody's loyal anymore. They're just signing the biggest contract that they get. That's why I love John Wall. The news about Wall's mental health was also a bombshell 
not just the fans, but to former teammates, as Marcin Gortat said he felt terrible, thought he should have known about it, and wished he was there for Wall. Wall said writing the article in the Player Trib Tribune made him feel lighter. He said, but not as light as joining the Clippers did when Wall agreed to a buyout from Houston in the offseason, reportedly shaving $6.4 off of the $47 million he was due. Now, Wall returns to D.C., and on Saturday, and I'm expecting a huge crowd because I know I'm not the only one who loved John Wall for so many seasons here in D.C. He makes his first return here, and he's going to get the, store, the start. Yes, ESPN is reporting that the Clippers have already said they are going to rest Reggie Jackson, which means John Wall is in line to get the start. If you're listening right now, I want to hear from you right now. Do you care about John Wall like I do? Are you still going to root for him for the rest of his career, even though he's not putting on a Wizards jersey anymore, even though he's not playing for the Zards? Are you still going to support John Wall? 1-800-636-1067. 1-800-636-1067. John Wall returns to D.C. tonight as the Clippers take on the Wizards. I'll be rooting for the Wizards, but I want John to have, have at least a double-double, have a great performance here in front of a great crowd that will hopefully – be wearing a lot of number two jerseys in the stands. You're listening to AWOD on the fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. What's going on? Hope everybody's gotten a good Saturday morning here going for you. Maybe you stopped by McDonald's, picked up a cup of coffee and a McMuffin. I've been avoiding fast foods here. But uh, it's always nice to start your morning with something Something quick, right? Quick and easy. And I appreciate everybody listening to AWOD Radio here on a Saturday morning in the D.C. DC area. If you want to get in touch with me throughout the show, it's 1-800-636-1067. Watching the World Cup right now as I do the show as Morocco is up one nothing on Portugal. And right now I just wanted to say RIP to Grant Wall, who is a brilliant soccer journalist who actually passed away yesterday while covering the World Cup in Qatar. And to soccer fans... He was the man. The best soccer articles I've ever read were written by Grant Wall. I've enjoyed listening to him over the last 10 years or so, doing interviews and podcasts, and his soccer knowledge was so immense. I mean, if you're not a soccer fan, here's what I would say. He was basically like Adam Schefter of soccer for Americans. It's incredibly sad. I'm thinking about Grant Wall's family as I do this show today. And Portugal is trailing one nothing. Over Morocco right now. Morocco has been the story of the tournament. The African nation has showed up and showed up in a big way. Hakimi is playing well. He's their star. Hakim Zayech is bowling. And they just scored on a header and currently lead Portugal 1-0. And Portugal, one of the favorites going into this World Cup. Why is that? Because it's Cristiano Ronaldo's last ride. And yet we have a crazy situation here in the soccer world. And I don't know how to explain it in the soccer world but, uh, to people not soccer fans besides just saying it's almost like Terrell Owens at the end of his career. Like, Ronaldo is not starting this game. Ronaldo is hated by his Manchester United teammates and his manager for comments he made on the Piers Morgan show. I mean, it's the weirdest thing ever. It almost seems like it's out of a movie. He was cut by Manchester United right in the middle of this World Cup while he's representing Portugal, his country. Ronaldo is like Terrell Owens right now. Nobody wants to play with him. He just got into a spat with his manager 
two games ago for getting taken off in the 67th minute. Manager decided next game you're coming off the bench. The guy that replaced him scored a hat trick. So in this game, Ronaldo didn't get the start again. If you got one of the greatest soccer players in the history of soccer. A lot of people, if you're an Argentinian listen right now, you're probably going crazy. Oh, it's Lionel Messi. Oh, it's Diego Maradona. But a lot of the soccer community would say it's Cristiano Ronaldo. It's his size, his verticality, his leap. He's able to make un- unbelievable headers, bicycle kicks, goal after goal after goal. The trophies he won with Manchester United as a kid, with Real Madrid over the years. Even a trophy he won with Juventus. He is one of the greatest soccer players of all time, and yet, in his last World Cup, his last hurrah, he's coming off the bench. Now, he did just enter the game. So if you're watching right now, it's the 61st minute. Morocco still leading Portugal 1-0. And I know a lot of people that are just casual soccer fans, like I was talking to Drab T-Shirt yesterday, the producer of the sports junkies. Drab deserves more credit than he gets because he's part of the reason why the junks have been so good for the last 10 years, last 15 years, even though they're on a 25-year run. And I was talking to Drab about United and Ronaldo, and it's so crazy. You've got Lionel Messi, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, the goats of soccer, up in age now, right? This is Both of them, this is their last run in international play. And Lionel Messi is scoring goals and starring for Argentina and single-handedly Put them past, uh, I believe it was Croatia yesterday, into the next round, right? Lionel Messi is doing everything he can for his country. He's being a star. You know, they're asking him to take penalty kicks. It was the Netherlands who Argentina uh, advanced past 2-2 in penalty kicks. Lionel Messi scored a penalty kick in regulation. He scored another one in PKs. So he's doing everything for his club to lead them to the championships. To the championship. And then on the other side, Cristiano Ronaldo is struggling to even see the field. His teammates, it's crazy. There's viral videos going around of him and Bruno Fernandez, midfielder for Manchester United. Ronaldo will come up and try to shake his hand. Bruno will look the other way. This is his teammate at the club level and the international level. It's like, I mean, I th- that's why I think this story breaks through past soccer fans because it's so unbelievable to me that nobody likes him. It, it's almost like, If Michael Jordan tried to come back one more time, and people were like, no, I'm over you, MJ. I've seen this documentary. I know what kind of teammate you are, right? It's just the weirdest thing ever. Nobody in Portugal wants to support Ronaldo anymore. And yet the fans that are in Qatar watching the World Cup, they're going nuts anytime they see him getting ready to check in a game. He has never scored a goal in the knockout rounds. And if Portugal are going to advance today, he's going to have to get a goal here in this second half. 27 minutes remaining, and Morocco still leads one to nothing. England and France is your 2 p.m. game here, and that is going to be a monster matchup. Both teams feel like this is their nation's chance to win a World Cup. France won it four years ago. They're returning almost the entire squad, except for due to injury. They're missing out on N'Golo Conte and Paul Pogba. But they still have Kylian Mbappe, who won a World Cup four years ago at 19. Now he's 23, and he is going to go down as the greatest soccer goal scorer, goal scorer of all time. You heard it here first. And it's not that hot of a take. At 23 years old, Kylian Mbappe is going to go down as the greatest goal scorer of all time. So 2 p.m. today, 
England feels like they could bring it home. Why do they feel that way? Well, they advanced all the way to the finals of the Euro Cup last year before losing in overtime to Italy. England played great in that cup, and they bring in a lot of the same guys. And a lot of their players are playing so well in the Premier League, so they're hot right now. So you're going to have Harry Kane starting at striker for England, but I think a bigger X factor is going to be Manchester City's young stud, Phil Foden, at 22 years old. He is not just an attacker for them, but a creator. He's the kind of guy that could set up his teammates while also getting a goal, providing a goal of his own. He's super quick. Unbelievable footwork. Great dribbling. He can swing in a great pass as well. I think he is more important. And if you're a betting man, I would pray that he scores a goal today for England. When you saw America play against England, I loved what America did. All right? Soccer fans might not notice this, but Greg Berhalter, and look, I don't think he's a great manager, but he had a great game plan for that matchup, USA against England. And he started two strikers and said, hey, we're going to let McGuire and Stones play kickball, pass it back and forth. We're not going to let Declan Rice get into the game. He's the leader for England in the midfield. He sets up the attacks. And so America basically played two strikers, and they just double-teamed him. And they said, you're not going to beat us. Eventually, England brought in Henderson, Jordan Henderson out of Liverpool, and he was able to mix things up, and he was watching the game, and so he took advantage of America in the second half. But it was a, a nil-nil tie. America played great. And I feel like France is going to use that same kind of game plan of not letting Declan Rice get into the game, force England to beat you with passing from their back line. If you watched England play in the Euro Cup, Shaw, Luke Shaw, had an unbelievable goal in the final against Italy. He's going to get the start again tonight against France. He's on the left side. They've got Kyle Walker on the right side. And the wingbacks are what makes soccer teams so dangerous. Yes, they defend, they defend, they defend. But when they push up in the attack, it's an extra man. An extra man on the attack on the right side or the left side to swing in crosses. And they use the speed. You watch these best teams in the world here, they've got their fastest players playing on the outside. It's almost like in America, you got your fastest player point guard, right? You got your fastest player in the NFL playing wide receiver. In soccer, your fastest player plays right back or left back or wing back. For France, it's one of my favorite soccer players in the world. 36 years old, he's still banging in goals. Why? Because he's six foot four. their lead man out of Milan, Olivia Giroud. Also, maybe just my opinion, probably the most attractive soccer player on the planet. I love Olivia Giroud, and I think his beautiful head and beautiful face is going to connect on a goal today. Kylian Mbappe is their star. He's their stud. He'll play on the left wing. Griezmann's in the middle, and it's interesting because Antoine Griezmann has kind of adapted to this new role here. He wanted to be the goal scorer. He wanted to be the man for France and for his club when he was playing for Barcelona. He's up in age now, all right, at least in soccer terms, at 31 years old, and he's adapted to this new style of, I don't want to be the goal scorer. I'm going to be the guy that gets other people's involved, that gets the assists, and it's worked out terrifically for France Has as this like kind of holding midfield that kind of sets up the attack and uses his speed to break away. In goal, France has Hugo Lloris who is 35 years old. He's played in four different World Cups. He's won one already. This is going to be such a fun game, all right? Here's my official prediction. Goal after goal after goal. Up and down game. Give the people what they want, right? American fans were complaining, USA only scored three goals in four games in the World Cup. It's not fun. I think we're going to get five goals. France wins 3-2. to two. You heard it here first on AWOD Radio. Don't go anywhere. 
I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan. Hope everybody's having a good Saturday morning. Caitlin doing a great job producing the show today. Thanks so much. If you want to get in touch with me throughout the show, 1-800-636-1067. We've got Connor hanging out with us. He's training to become a, a superstar producer at The Fan. You can. Uh, there's so many great producers at The Fan that you can learn from. Caitlin's one of them. Get in touch with Drab. Get in touch with Clary, the Stallion. Uh, learn from these guys, and you'll be in some good hands. Right now, I'm going to go through the NFL standings and predict the playoffs. All right? If you want to chime in, it's 1-800-636-1067. That's 1-800-636-1067. Or, or you could always tweet me. If you're just too lazy to call, or some people, they don't like hearing their own voice on the radio, and they're better with typing on their fingers, like their thumbs like crazy, so you can always tweet me at AWAD Radio. That's A-W-A-D-D-R-A-D-I-O. All right, let's start in the NFC, in the AFC here. As the Buffalo Bills are 9-3, and and they win the tiebreaker over Kansas City based on the head-to-head win percentage from earlier this season. I think most people would agree at the beginning of the season Buffalo was the favorites to make it to the Super Bowl, right? This team was 13 seconds away from beating the Chiefs last year. The Bengals, I think a lot of people thought, oh, they got lucky, went on a lucky run. Joe Burrow got hot. But I think most people would agree that coming into this season, the most talented team in the AFC was the Buffalo Bills. And they've showed it again this season. Josh Allen's been spectacular. It's so much fun to watch him play quarterback. I mean, he can make... Anything happen. I, it feels like he's one of those guys, like old school Tom Brady, old school Peyton Manning, third and 18. I think Josh Allen's going to pick it up. You know, he's that good. He can run the ball as well. In fact, he might be the best running back on the Bills, which is a bit of a shame because they need to get more out of Devin Singletary, who's ran for 100, or 603 yards this season, while Josh Allen's at 581. He's right on his butt, and he's averaging 6.5 yards per carry while throwing for 3,400 yards, 25 touchdowns to 11 interceptions this season. I think Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills deserve to be the one seed in the AFC, and they're still my favorite to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Kansas City at number two. You can never count out Patrick Mahomes. I think they stay as the two seed. Baltimore at eight and four is not going to finish as the three seed. I promise you that. All right, we don't know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. Over the last four and a half, five weeks of the season here, is he going to return? Are they going to have to go with Tyler Huntley? How does that change their game plan? It's going to be a lot of ground and pound and trust their defense. And it's not like they've got an easy schedule ahead. You look at the Baltimore Ravens and you say, who do they play? Well, they got the Steelers this weekend. All right, that's a tough game. It's always going to be a tough game, even though the Steelers aren't great because it's a divisional rivalry game and it's in Pittsburgh. Then they're at Cleveland. That's such an X factor. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, from Deshaun Watson. Maybe he's better and he's back to form. Maybe he's getting worse uh, and maybe he suffers an injury. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe even they take him off the field because of the off-the-field drama. You don't know what's going to happen. Ravens-Browns, that's not an easy victory. Then you got the Falcons, Steelers, and Bengals again. I think it comes down to that Week 18 matchup at the Cincinnati Bengals where the Bengals win and clinch that division. Why? Because the Bengals are also 8-4, and four, all right? And if, if they win that game against the Ravens, they would end up winning that division, end up probably as the three-seed. Four-seed Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee could lose out and still win that division. Yeah, that's how bad it is uh, in the AFC where um, <laughs> the AFC South. So 
you have the Tennessee Titans at 7-5. and five. Behind them is the Indianapolis Colts. Jeff Saturday, I call him Jeff Sunday. Now he's the head coach in Indianapolis, 4-8-1. Now, they've lost three games in a row. I don't think they can overtake the Titans, but that's the second-place team there because Jacksonville's terrible again this year at 4-8, and eight, and my goodness, Houston at 1-10-1. It is ugly. So you've got, I've got Tennessee winning that division and being your four seed. So Baltimore moves to five, maybe even six. Miami gets in. The Jets get in. The Chargers are the team that I would say on, has the best chance in the AFC on the outside looking in to get in. The problem is it's hard to trust Justin Herbert right now, right? Like, you thought, season's on the line. He's got to beat the Raiders. The Raiders have been bad. They're going to win that game. No, they lose 27-20. to 20. And, and Herbert was all over the place in that game. Inaccurate. 28-47. 28-47. Now, he threw for 335 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. But it was he was just inaccurate, and he couldn't have uh, effective drives. He was 5-16 of 16 on third down. And so it's going to be hard to say, oh, yeah, Justin Herbert will lead this Chargers team into the playoffs this season when they still have to play the Dolphins, the Titans, an easy game against the Colts, easier game against the Rams, and then Broncos to end the season. It's hard to say that they get in. I don't believe in um, the Patriots. I, I believe in Bill Belichick, but that team's not good enough to get into the playoffs. So I think in the AFC, you're looking at the Jets to get in with Mike White as the quarterback. You're looking at the Dolphins. They get in, and it sucks that the Dolphins are going to have to be a wild card team, but that's what happens when you're in the same division when the Buffalo Bills. Let's move over to the NFC. I was talking about the NFC a lot on the show today, and the Eagles at 11-1 and deserve a lot of credit, but I don't think they're the best team in the NFC. I thought the best team in the NFC prior to the latest injury was probably the 49ers. Heck, they were the hottest team. They won five in a row. But now that they've got Brock Purdy instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't have as much faith in them. Philadelphia finished the season with at least 14 wins, at least 14-3. and three. They're going to be the one seed in the NFC. Your two seed, the Minnesota Vikings. Look, I don't believe in Kirk Cousins, but I'm a believer in Kevin O'Connell. I believe in pretty much any assistant coach that was here with Washington when um, – when Mike Shanahan was in charge. You look at all those guys, they've all had success in shooting, including Sean McVay, uh, Shanahan's son Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Kevin O'Connell's one of those guys. And in his first year in charge in Minnesota, they sit at 10-2, and two, and they're going to be the second seed in the NFC. They've got the Lions this weekend before Colts, Giants, Packers, and Bears. I think they only lose maybe one more game at, towards the end of this season. Your third-place team right now is the 49ers. I think they struggled towards the end of the season with Brock Purdy. Right? I get it. They've got a great running back. They've got a great defense. They've actually got two good running backs because Eliza Mitchell can run the rock as well, and Christian McCaffrey could play as a wide receiver if you need him to. Debo Samuel could do it all, right? But I don't trust that team with Brock Purdy to win that many games here towards the uh, stretch of the season. Now, them in Seattle... One of those teams are going to be the three seed. Why? Because the four seed's locked in as Tampa Bay. One of your four, The four top seeds have to be your division champions, and so Tampa Bay is going to be locked in as the four seed because they'll get into the playoffs either at or below 500. It's that bad. you got two bad, team, bad divisions in the NFL this year, and uh, representative of both of them is probably going to be Tennessee 
and then Tampa Bay on the NFC side. Dallas 9-3. and three. I like them to win a few games towards the end of the season here, but they're going to be locked into that five seed. Six, I believe it ends up being New York, and then Seattle's on the outside looking in. Geno Smith's had a fun ride this season. I just don't trust him to be clutch in the final few weeks of the season. I think there's a chance they lose to the Panthers this weekend. There's a chance they lose to the 49ers. The winner of that game uh, represents that division. Then you've got Chiefs, loss. Guarantee that's a loss. Jets, probably a loss. And final week of the season against the Rams, the Seahawks barely beat the Rams last week. It took a final drive from Geno Smith hitting DK Metcalf in the end zone with like 16 seconds left to win that game against the Rams. And the Rams were starting uh, Wofford in that game. Now they got Baker Mayfield. I think the Rams play for pride at the end of the season. They play for their head coach, Sean McVay, and they beat Seattle in Week 18 that knocks Seattle out of the playoffs. Yeah, is Drab T-Shirt listening? I'm telling you right now, Seattle's not getting into the playoffs. The tie is going to screw them. Why? Because Seattle might end up with 9 or 10 wins. If the Giants or Washington have the exact same number of wins, the tie gets them in. Win and you're in. Washington gets into the playoffs by winning, I say, three of their final four games. You're listening to AWOD Radio. If you want to chime in, it's 1-800-636-1067. 1-800-636-1067. I'm going to go around the NFL and pick some winners here as we look at the Sunday spread next on The Fan. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up, DMV? The son of the junks is back. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan. Members of the AWOD Army, I appreciate you chiming in throughout the show. It's always a fun show when I can generate a ton of callers, so I appreciate you guys for the support today. Thanks to Caitlin and Connor for producing the show. If you've enjoyed it, Check me out in Richmond on the Odyssey app, all right? Download the Odyssey app today for free. It's the best app out there for podcasts and live radio. You type in 910 The Fan, and you can hear AWOD Radio Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 p.m. Now it's time to go around the NFL with a little NFL hits. Every regular season matchup, every head coach on the hot seat, the hit stories in the NFL, NFL hits on AWOD Radio. All right, so let's take a look at the Sunday slate here. We got a good one starting at 1 p.m. on CBS. The 7-5 Jets travel to Buffalo to face off against the red-hot Buffalo Bills. Jets still have an interesting quarterback situation there. I don't think they're going to go back to Zach Wilson anytime soon. It seems like he's lost the coaching staff and the locker room. I like Buffalo to not only win this game, but to cover the spread. And I got to give a shout-out to BetQL on this one because I was listening to Lockie Lockerson on the BetQL network. First off, that's an unbelievable name for sports gambling host, Lockie Lockerson. But he was talking about how Buffalo has not played at home in more than a month. Yeah, the last time Buffalo was supposed to have a a home game, they had a crazy snowstorm, and they were snowed out. They had, like, what, like six feet of snow? They could barely leave their house. Somehow they got on a plane, ended up in Detroit, played the next game in Detroit for Thanksgiving. Then, Since then, they've been on the road. This is their first time back in home in a long time. I like Buffalo to win this game easily. They cover the 10-point spread. You heard it here on AWOD Radio. Browns, Bengals. Hopefully, I'm looking for Deshaun Watson to have a bit of a bounce-back game. I want to see that magic that we saw from him in Houston where he scrambles around 
extends the play, extends the play, and then finds somebody downfield. But, man, Joe Burrow has kind of caught fire here, and Cincinnati's playing so much better. They've won four games in a row. Coming off a victory against the Chiefs, how could you bet against them? Cincinnati wins this game, covers the five-and-a-half-point spread. Texans-Cowboys, no thank you. No need to even mention that game. Uh, Vikings against the Lions. This is such an interesting game here because the Vikings have five more wins. They have five more wins. And yet Detroit's favored. What the hell's up with that? Vegas understands that the Lions can score. Offensively, Detroit's one of the best teams in the league. I hate to say that, but DeAndre Swift's a star. He's a star running back. Jared Goff throws a five-yard pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. He takes it 30 yards. He takes it 40. The Lions can score. The problem is they can't defend. The over-under is at 50, 51 and a half. Take the over. That's my bet in that game. I do think the Vikings still win. Jags, Titans. Trevor Lawrence going against King Henry, Derrick Henry, in December, in December, in the cold weather, never get bet against a powerful running back. I think Tennessee wins that game, covers the three-and-a-half point spread. Eagles-Giants, you really never know what to expect in a division rivalry game here, right? Commanders fans are hoping and praying the Eagles can really kick their ass and ruin any momentum the Giants had after that tie or how they played earlier this season. We want the Giants to be reeling 7-5-1 when they come to FedEx Field next Sunday. Here's what I will say, though. I am going to bet the Giants plus 7. We know when it's a division rivalry game in the NFC East, unless there's a fluke touchdown in the final 30 seconds, it's most of the time a one-score game. Giants plus 7, Eagles win the game. Ravens, Steelers. This is going to be a low-scoring ball game. Over-under set at 36.5. Steelers got nothing from Kenny Pickett. Expect a couple interceptions. All right, Najee Harris has figured out uh, his rushing attack. He's kind of played a lot better over the last three or four weeks. The Rams, without Lamar Jackson, Huntley back in there, quarterback, they're going to run the ball, run it, run it, run it. I'm not going to bet a winner in that game, but I am going to bet the under 36.5 points. You looked at the last game the Ravens played. They won 10-9 against the Broncos. And I think Russell Wilson's a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett, even though he struggled this season. So, yeah, I don't think these teams combine for even maybe half of 36 points. I'd be, I would put the over-under at, like, 23 in this game. Chiefs-Broncos, 4 p.m. on CBS. I like the Chiefs to win that game and to cover the nine-point spread. They're in a battle in the AFC to be the top team. They want to jump ahead of the Bills, even though the Bills hold that head-to-head tiebreaker. So it's not like the Chiefs are going to take it easy in the final five weeks of the season. Bucks against the 49ers. This is such a tough game to predict. Kyle Shanahan's a tremendous offensive coordinator. But we're really going to see how good he is this weekend because the Bucks have a solid defense. The Bucks won't score that many points, right? The, the Bucks offense has struggled this year. Tom Brady has only thrown 16 touchdown passes. I believe he had like 55 last season. I mean, it was unbelievable. There was no way he was going to retire. That's why I didn't believe any of his rumors, right? So I think the Bucks struggle offensively, get probably 14, 17 points on the board. The question is, how many points can Brock Purdy put up, right? Could they get an explosive play from Debo Samuel? Maybe a screen pass. You don't have to throw it deep. I say Bucks win this game, but I think it's under the 37-point total. Low-scoring affair, defensive battle. Uh, 49ers, Pan- excuse me, Panthers, Seahawks. Seahawks win this game because I'm not a believer in the Panthers at all. Not, not even 
a chance. They're also 0-5 this season on the road. Where's this game? On the road in Seattle. They've got the 12th man. 12th man's going to be rocking. Why? Because they know their team's probably playing in the playoffs this year. I mean, they're right in the playoff hunt. Right in the playoff hunt at 7-5. and five. And I really think they're in the same position as Washington, where they control their own destiny. Why? Because they still have to play against the 49ers next week. So they beat the Panthers. They beat the 49ers. They could end up winning that division. Sunday night. We've had some bad primetime games. As of late, it feels like it's getting better, right? You just had Monday Night Football with Baker Mayfield leading his team down the field for a touchdown drive to win the game. You had uh, Tom Brady on Sunday Night Football leading his team down the field against the Saints. Somehow they came back and won that game. I went to sleep. It was 16-3, to and it was like five minutes left on the game. No clue how Tom Brady won that game, and no, I won't go back and rewatch the highlights. I don't care. He's the GOAT. He finds a way to win. Uh, Chargers-Dolphins Sunday Night Football, though. I think we're going to get another really close game Sunday night. Like I said, Justin Herbert needs to win this game. His playoffs are on the line. This is basically a playoff game for the Chargers, even though there's five games left in the season. And the Dolphins have been great this year, and Mike McDaniel deserves a ton of credit. Uh, The way him and Tua have kind of teamed up and and created an explosive offense. And I love Tyreek Hill. He's my favorite running back, uh, wide receiver in the league. I think he's the best. I think he's the best playmaker because he can turn a, a slant into an 80-yard touchdown anytime. And that's why I picked the Dolphins to win this game. Three-point spread. I'll stay away from that. Money line, Dolphins. Money line, Miami. Monday night football. Monday night football. Patriots against the Cardinals. Big game for the Patriots. They need this more than the Cardinals. And I just, I'm not a fan of Kyler Murray anymore. You had that whole craziness in the offseason there where, he had this clause in his contract where he had to study more, and part of me thinks that that's true. Part of me thinks I've seen all the clips of Kyler Murray playing Call of Duty, playing video games. I don't think he really studies the playbook that much, and you look at the way he's played this season, it kind of shows. A lot of Cardinals fans would tell me right now, Colt McCoy played better than Kyler Murray this year. What? Colt McCoy? Yeah, yeah, Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy. Patriots win that game, and they cover the one-and-a-half-point spread. Final thing here on the show with NFL MVP for the season. NFL MVP, I think you have to look at passing leaders for the season, right? I think that's how you should decide who ends up being the MVP this year. I don't think that there's a running back that stands out over anybody else. I don't think there's a wide receiver that stands out anybody over anybody else. Although I think Justin Jefferson deserves more credit than Kirk Cousins for the Vikings being good this year, the way he's been mossing people. And so I'm going to say your NFL MVP for the season is Patrick Mahomes. He lost Tyreek Hill. And yet you look at the offensive leaders, he's up by 400 yards on everybody. 400 yards on Joe Burrow. 400 yards on Josh Allen. 400 yards on Herbert. 500 yards on Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs is your NFL MVP. Thanks, everybody, for listening to AWOD Radio. I'll see you next Saturday on The Fan.